Welcome to the NPX Innovation Chattelist Podcast, the podcast where we talk to innovative leaders in the nuclear industry and beyond. Good afternoon and welcome to the second episode of the revamped version of Innovation Chattelist. On this wintry Friday afternoon, but it looks and feels like fall, which is great. So no complaints over there. I'm your host, Chiraksha, and today we welcome our special guest, Anna McIntosh from Global Tech Inc. Hi, Anna, and a very warm welcome to Nuclear Promise X, fondly known as NPX. It's great to see you after a decade. For the benefit of the audience, uh, Anna was my department manager at Bruce B during my one-year tenure at Bruce Power as the Environment Officer for the Station Chemistry and Environment Work Group. Anna possesses a wealth of knowledge and expertise in the nuclear industry, and I promise that this is going to be a very informative yet fun podcast. So how are you doing today, Anna? And please introduce yourself. Thank you, Chirag. I really appreciate the invite to come participate today. I'm doing well, and as you can see, I did not have a difficult drive here today because it is not snowy. Uh, so I, uh, I guess I'll start with a little bit of my background, um, and then I'll talk a bit about the role that I'm in right now. So I have a background education-wise in metallurgical engineering and also a geology degree. I'm an odd person that has two undergraduate degrees. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's really my formal schooling. Um, I've been working in the nuclear industry pretty much since I started. Uh, I had a co-op term with Bruce Power, uh, and then I moved on to, to join the nuclear industry in Canada after that. Uh, I have worked for um, suppliers, so I've worked for consulting companies like Kinetrix um, and some others. I have worked for Bruce Power in multiple different roles, from technical roles in welding engineering, all the way to department manager roles, as you mentioned, in the station, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I had the benefit of working at Candu Owners Group, which services all of the Candu units and provides uh, joint research solutions for the industry. Uh, so that's a little bit about kind of how I how I followed along my um, my background to get to hear from an experience and an education perspective. Uh, I would say that my technical realm is really in the areas of pressure boundary, major components, welding, and material science. Uh, so that brings me to where I am right now. My current position is with Global Tech, as you mentioned. So I am working as a contract employee for Bruce Power right now, supporting a role there through Global Tech. And that is in the welding engineer role. Uh, so you'll see my title probably says subject matter expert. I mean, we can call ourselves all kinds of different yes. things depending on the role that you perform. Uh, but essentially what that means is I provide uh, detailed technical support on welding solutions, um, providing oversight for vendors that are, uh, that are undertaking significant service and, and uh, project work for Bruce Power. Uh, the two main areas that I'm supporting is under the major component replacement projects, um, balance of plant and the bulkheads areas, and then also doing some work for the pressure boundary group for the base welding program on site. That's awesome to hear, Anna. Uh, that's, that's definitely a ton and a wealth of experience that you've amassed over the past couple of years. 
Um, so yeah, maybe you can tell us some fun facts about yourselves. Any hobbies, interests, things that you do outside of work? Absolutely. Well, we were just talking yeah. about one of them. Um, probably something not a lot of people know. I do teach yoga also on the side, not something you always hear from a nuclear uh, engineering type person. <laughs> so um, one of the ways that I got into that was, was really trying to create a better work-life balance for myself. Um, you know, we'll talk later about advice people might have for others in, in the industry, especially early in your career. Um, Work-life balance is one of those things that no one else is ever going to create for you. <laughs> so, um, you know, taking on some, some ownership for my own, you know, life outside of work and being able to move in healthy ways to support also, you know, working in a plant environment, working in an office a lot of the time. Um, I, I undertook my yoga teacher training. So I have a little bit of opportunity to move and meet people through that. It also teaches you a lot when you're teaching other people. Um, it's been an interesting way to sort of, I guess, challenge my own perspectives and, and learn a little bit more from a cultural perspective too, considering that yoga has a lot of roots that don't necessarily you know, have to do with my upbringing and, and my cultural background. Um, so that's been, that's been really fun. And I guess another piece that probably goes along with that, uh, that maybe not a lot of people know, was a couple of years ago, I actually left the industry for two years and started a master's in osteopathic manual science. So, you know, the yoga kind of went along with a little bit of that. And uh, for two years while I was in school, uh, completing the first portion of that before an injury and a different path kind of pursued. Uh, the two of them went hand in hand and it allowed me to, uh, to run my own business and, and support being able to continue on in that, in that program as well. It's great to hear that, Anna. I think uh, a lot of people really underestimate the power that yoga and mindfulness have, uh, especially on, uh, from a mental health standpoint. I know here at NPX, we usually start our uh, weekly discussions. We use a platform called Headspace. It's great for um, you know meditation, mindfulness. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely, I think, and you have so many different forms of yoga. I know I tried hot yoga a couple of years ago, and boy, that was tough. <laughs> um, but you def like, I think it's um, it's great to have certain interests outside of work too, that can probably help and assist. Uh, with the day-to-day -day work activities. I think that the mindfulness aspect and really clearing your head and having that fresh train of thought that you can bring to work uh, day in and day out, because we know like every industry, you know, work can get stressful. Um, and how do you really decompress, right, after work? As I said, work-life balance is definitely key uh, that a lot of people these days struggle with. So it is important, and, you know, we stress that a lot here at NPX, um, I know when I was interviewing um, for NPX as well, that was one of the things that was brought up that, hey, you know, we're big from a work-life balance standpoint, but we be because they believe that, hey, healthy em employees are the way to go, right? Like if you're not, um, if you're not in that headspace per se, it does have an impact on your professional um, life as well. So that's, uh, that's really good to hear that you're engaging in a lot of different activities as well outside of work. I think you brought up a really good point. I mean, we, you know, we often talk about soft skills 
and we yeah. talk about some of the less tangible things that are harder to teach people, especially, you know, developing leaders. And I think a lot of those things that we may do and engage in outside of work also help build that resilience and build that knowledge and those tool sets so that we can even bring them into every day, right? When we're, when we're trying to solve a challenging problem and there's time pressure and there's money pressure and there's multiple people and multiple, you know, stakeholders holders that have to be considered, you know, sometimes even being able to step back and pause and think about how you communicate differently can change the way that that interaction goes, you know, substantially. No, agreed. Uh, for sure, at least us uh, in project management, communication is the key to success, <laughs> right? And the right communication. You know, in nuclear, we always talk about three-way communication as one of our human performance tools. So definitely very key uh, for success. Okay, that's perfect. Uh, we'll move on to the next question. So what do you know about NPX? Have you heard about us before? And is there something that you would like to know more about? I know we are quite active on all our social media uh, platforms as well. So yeah, like what, what do you know about us? Is there something you would like to know more about us? Sure. Um, well, I know a little bit about you. I understand that you create uh, innovative solutions. Uh, it appears that most or a lot of them are focused on, you know, digitization of, of a lot of the processes uh, and the data and the information that we all work with in the industry. Um, so it's been really interesting and great to see how those have come to fruition. Obviously, that's happened during my career. So the way that I worked when I started as an engineer and the way that I work now, you know, can be very different. And I think that um, I think that I'm actually probably using some of those processes that you participated in building and, and helping develop. Um, so that's kind of my exposure to NPX. I would be interested to know a little bit about. I know you do a lot in terms of equity and diversity and inclusion and those types of things. I'd be interested in knowing um, a little bit about how you functionally do some of those things. It's easy to talk about it, but implementing you know, those actions can be a little bit uh, more difficult. Um, or any of the maybe key solutions that you've, uh, you've put into place for someone that you're really proud of. That's a great question, actually, that uh, EDNI was one of my other questions <laughs> towards the end as well. But we can get, I can give you a quick brief. Uh, so at NPX, we focus a lot on EDNI and uh, making a big impact on our communities. Giving back to the community is one of our big uh, mission and vision statements. We have weekly internal community impact meetings uh, with their team in which we identify different community initiatives that we want to do on a monthly basis and uh, just really planning for the next couple months, you know, different seasons, working with different organizations. There are a couple organizations uh, both in the Bruce area and in uh, Durham uh, that we support on an ongoing basis. I know uh, in Durham we work very closely with the Horizon House. That's uh, basically an organization uh, that's that's really heavily involved uh, when it comes to abuse with women and children. So we do a lot of grocery runs, a lot of uh, donations to the Horizon House on a, on a monthly basis. And you know, right now February is Black History Month, so we're doing a lot of initiatives with local uh, black-led communities mm -hmm. uh, and businesses as well um, 
Bharat, their CEO, was uh, recently at uh, a Whitby of Chamber of Commerce event uh, for Black History Month in which we had sponsored in the speakers at that event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also do have a PAR, which is a progressive um, Aboriginal um, community. We have, a, we have a full plan from a First Nation standpoint uh, that we, you know, that we are in works of publishing, and we are working with uh, the Aboriginal communities and the local leaders and stuff. Because one of our targets for this year, for 2023, is to increase our presence uh, on that front and really support. Um, and as you said, we are innovators, so we want to be one of the first individuals and organizations. Mm-hmm. And we are also looking at synergies uh, with working with either our clients or vendor partners to make that happen uh, for communities and really increase their presence. So, you know, our social media platforms do post a lot uh, from an EDNI initiatives that we do on a month-by-month basis. So, you know, be it either International Women's Day or, you know, we had a couple activities for uh, the Bell Let's Talk Day that just happened last month. So I think, like, our team in general, there are a lot of individuals who are very... Um, who are very passionate about community and, you know, be it, it could be from a spiritual standpoint as well, like we have Ramadan coming up, so we have a couple of our individuals working on that. You know, you have, we recently heard about the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, so, you know, we always support, like we had the floods in Pakistan last year, so we do our best as as an organization uh, to, of course, define and support um, as many organizations and diverse groups as we can. And our plan definitely this year is to keep keep doing that and more because that's that's what we're really that's what we're really about. We want we want to come up with in, innovative solutions uh, for our clients, uh, but doing so we also want to make an impact um, not only to the local regional communities, but we are hoping, that we can we can have our footprint and make an impact on a more national and global level eventually as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, the the point of of putting focus on anything like that is to develop the sustainability within the whole system anyway, right? So then maybe you don't need to have that kind of focus on it that way because it's a little bit more built in. Agreed. And I think moving forward, that's the goal that majority of the organizations <clears throat> Uh, need to work towards that. Yeah. It shouldn't be something that you're doing extra or putting separate efforts, right? It should be something that's that's just inherently built in and that should just come in and flow through naturally. You shouldn't have to specifically think about it or have dedicated programs um, allocated towards it. It should it should just be embedded almost here, say, into an organization's culture. Yeah. Uh, and and be it when it comes to either hiring decisions um, or just working in and supporting uh, a lot of the communities out there to see what what we can do better and how nuclear can help mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. Um, hope I described that well. Uh, we'll um, so maybe you can tell us. Uh, I know you touched upon some of the roles that you uh, you have done. Uh, so. Maybe you can tell us some more about your current role um, at Globotech. And I know you mentioned you had started off and in as uh, uh, in welding and metallurgy, and it's almost like full circle. It is full circle. Uh, so maybe you can tell us, you know, 
drove you to it? Uh, what are some of the aspects that you like about your role? Um, and um, yeah, just we can go from there. Okay. Um, so in my current role, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a subject matter expert in the welding and metallurgy area. So I'm essentially working as a welding engineer. And that involves a little bit of everything from supporting major projects to everyday problem solving in the plant. So if you, you know, are interested in what a day might look like, um, I could be spending my day in front of the computer reviewing procedures that have been submitted by other suppliers on major components that they're, that they're producing. Um, I could be spending the day in their shop, right, overseeing um, welding processes, looking at issues, you know, helping to uh, make sure that we've got the right solutions. Um, there may be other days where the day is spent entirely in the plant, right? Something, morning meeting comes up. Um, this is a little bit more on the corporate side of the support. Uh, for example, you know, engineering operations or engineering identified an issue with something that broke overnight or they found in an inspection or, you know, maybe it's a structural member. Maybe there's a leak in a, a welded connection, you know, could be anything. Um, as you know, in nuclear, not every pipe is the same, even if it looks the same. So some of those generate a little bit more excitement and, and time pressure than others uh, in order to, to you know, work your way through a, a systematic and you know, risk-appropriate set of solutions. Um, so something like that would you know, potentially involve me going out for a walk down, spending time with the welding FLMs, with the welders, um, with the inspection folks, looking at how a repair might be able to be done, interfacing with the pressure boundary folks so they can uh, they can write the ITPs or so that they have feedback from the welding side. Um, that's kind of the two, I would say, extremes <laughs> of, of what a day might look like. Uh, typically in a week, I get a little bit of mix of those things. Um, and obviously when we're in windows of execution uh, for MCR, for the major components replacement, or when we're uh, working our way through some of those early design phases of, of those bigger projects, then you know your your week can be spent a lot more maybe on that vendor side, you know, working through the technical details, looking at materials, looking at you know the welding specifics, um, and then other times you know you'd be doing a lot less of that because all of that work is done and it's now in another phase of execution. Thanks for explaining that so. Um accurately and appropriately because I think uh, it's one of those areas within uh, within our industry that not many individuals may have had direct exposure with or may not necessarily know what's it what's involved why is it so critical right like we have so much opacs in the industry over the years of uh, welding failures of metallurgical failures and those the failures that could have been caught much earlier on and saved um, cost, schedule, just equipment, reliability, integrity. So I think it's it's a very key component in our industry uh, that sometimes may get overlooked and again, not intentionally necessarily, but I feel it's, it's really good to get that perspective, especially to a lot of individuals out there who might not necessarily know 
um, what's really involved or who hey, maybe you know they might be thinking of a potential career in, in welding or metallurgy but really don't know what's involved or where to really get started so thanks for providing um, that detail in-depth insight and hopefully it will help individuals listening to this podcast and you know come up with or get a better idea after after today as to hey if you want to pursue a career in that field within the nuclear industry this is how perhaps what your day-to-day job would look like. Yeah, for sure. And I think also, you know, we interface with the design folks. We interface with a lot of other engineering, you know, realms. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot behind a title. You know, different organizations title different jobs in so many different ways that it really is helpful to have an understanding of what each other actually does because I think it also helps you understand the boundaries between handoffs, how you interface properly on technical problems, how you make sure you don't have overlooked areas in between. Um, But to answer your question a little bit more about why I ended up back here, I I obviously started here when I joined Bruce Power as a junior welding engineer. So quite literally in the same role, um, I have gone through various different uh, positions and and different uh, organizations along my way since then. Um, But part of the reason that I chose to come back to the role was it based on the landscape right now, when the opportunity presented itself, it really seemed like a great time and a great place to be able to bring back an element of let's say breadth from the outside um from outside of the the plant perspective so from the supplier perspective from other areas of the industry but then also to bring back a history element of you know, how the program was originally set up and why it was built that way and having been involved in some of those early early issues and early um, equipment, you know, items. Because let's face it, you know, you don't, if a PHD pump had an issue a while ago, chances are, you know, that, that equipment-related item isn't gone in two months. In the nuclear industry, we tend to live through years and years of either a replacement program or um, a, a big technical solution or a design change, right? And so those types of things tend to live for a long time in the industry. And when there's been a lot of turnover, you know, sometimes you can have the best files and the best systems in the world and you still lose a lot of that real life OPEX. Uh, so it was a really good time and place, I think, for me to be able to kind of bring some of those components back to a group that maybe has had some turnover and might benefit from that. And that's, I think, for for those individual groups as well, they probably appreciate it, right? As you said, over the years, um, even, even through your career, through my career, we've seen digitalization um, get and grow to unprecedented levels so hey you might have paper copies as you can say from hey back in the days which may not have made its way necessarily to an electronic database right for one reason or another be it security controls or hey you and could be any reason right so having an individual who actually was an integral component part and parcel of the program when it was in its infancy to now when it's a bit more mature uh, and developed. I think it, it is really value add 
to that specific department and to an organization, uh, to an organization as well. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you've gotten this opportunity uh, to, do, to do that and to continue doing that as well and bringing in a lot of, a lot of OPEX uh, back to the industry, which can potentially help in the long run as well. For sure. It's also a really fun and strange personal walk down your own history, right? To walk, to yeah. go look at something that you wrote, you know, 20 years ago can be very humbling. <laughs> yeah, no. And sometimes, you're, you know, it goes back and be like, oh, like, you, you know, a lot of those things you may, might not even remem- remember that you did. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're, you're coming back now, and as you said, it's, it's just not only nostalgic, but even um, you think about it from a different perspective now after you've gained that experience over the years. Absolutely. Well. That is 100% true. So let's talk about some latest uh, happenings in the industry. Um, there's a lot of buzz going around in the nuclear sector. You've probably heard and through various media outlets, government announcements, that uh, there's a potential Pickering extension on the horizon. SMRs have become um, official, SMRs as in small modular reactors. There have been some recent breakthroughs in fusion and hydrogen power in the global space. So there's a lot to look forward to in the industry now um, compared compared to, say, like five or six years ago uh, when we were just getting started on the refurbishment um, and MCR programs uh, between Bruce Power and, and OPG, respectively. So it's great to see. Uh, it's great to see the change and the movement shift in our industry as well, and us getting that recognition um, on a global scale and, and governments recognizing the potential for clean energy and, you know, with, with, the whole climate change, the impact, the positive impact that nuclear can have as well. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on these uh, recent developments and uh, how do you see yourself um, fitting into this? Like, how do you see, do you think you will um, traverse into any of these disciplines in the near future? Have you been curious about them? Um, so just just kind of wanted to get your thoughts uh, from someone who's been in the industry for some time and who's who's seen the gradual growth and, and development? So I would say that I'm really encouraged by what I've seen in the last while. Um, if you look at a lot of the roles that I've that I've ended up being in and probably liked the most, a lot of them have ended up having a very technical element, but also a very regulatory element. Um, and that's a challenging place, you know, to work. It's 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 fun and uh, and it's interesting. And so I really like that we've now kind of crossed the bridge of sort of talking about all of these things, and we're in a place where there's there's some more concrete action happening, because I think also for people who are outside of the industry, it's very difficult to get people's attention and and maybe. Um, get them to kind of pay a little bit more attention to the detail that are that is behind some of the challenges of growing, you know, nuclear technologies until there's some real tangible things that they can think about, right? Uh, so I'm really I'm really glad that we've made it to that point and uh, I do maybe foresee 
at some point delving into the world of SMRs. Um, I think when you look at materials, right, there's there's a whole a whole opening world of interesting things there that are very different than the traditional materials that we've been dealing with with you know our candy reactors or other reactor types. Um, so I think that there's for sure a lot of opportunity that will probably open there as as it gets a little bit further down the design and development road and you know gets a little bit more into into that side of things um, but at the same time i also i really have a lot of respect for the base load generation capability that that our can do plants have provided for so long when i look back you know we talked a bit about the history when i look back at the history of this industry it's it's fascinating to see what people did you know in the 50s and the 60s with a fraction of the information and tools that we have now um so i do think it's really important to continue to have you know a large number of us support the longevity of those original technologies as well because it's our it's our way to be able to provide what we have to be able to grow those innovations, right? We we need to sustain, you know, our, our electricity demands and our infrastructure and all of those types of things in order to even have the capital and the opportunity to advance those innovations. Um, so I don't see me necessarily leaving can do anytime soon. Um, having been part of the COG Fuel Channel Life Extension project not that long ago in history, that was a big part of the basis that allowed the extensions to the licenses uh, to happen. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to participate in at least seeing some of that work get done at the stations before I think about, you know, moving too far into something like SMR. No, those are some really good points uh, that you brought up. And it's, it's critical that we don't also, as you mentioned, lose sight of what brought us here and what got us here you know the good work over the past four five six decades that have really enabled us and and the industry to take this next step forward so as you said it's going to be a fine balancing act between hey you know still supporting and learning and growing from the baseload generation and really how we can use those lessons learned, how we can use those, you know, use that OPEX and have like individuals like yourself supporting some of these key critical developments, right, in the next coming, say, seven, eight years or so um, as the SMR, um, as SMRs really pick up and start gaining momentum in our industry and we start seeing, um, you know, not only um, a couple, but a, couple, a few hundred, a few thousand of them. And, you know, not only in, in Canada, you know, but eventually, you know, North America and even supporting, uh, and her, her, hey, maybe having even the potential of supporting some remote communities yeah. uh, globally who might not readily have that um, a sort of access uh, to a basic need like electricity. You know, we live in this part of the world where we're very fortunate to have a continuous baseload generation. You know, we had that one incident a couple long time, a really long time ago. 2004, maybe. Yeah, 2003, <laughs> 2004, when we had that blackout and we, you know, that was a wake, oh, an awakening call. Mm-hmm. Um, but to think about it, that there are a lot of countries and areas in the world that still have those on a regular basis um, in this day and age it's, it's still crazy to think so if we over here can do something that can help um, 
just from a sustainability standpoint and uh, make it better for the future. I think that's that's the hindsightness and forward thinking that we need to keep, main, you know, as nuclear professionals, maintain that and really build on that for the for the future. For sure. Well, and you brought up a really really great point there. You know, when we go back to the whole, you know, equity and diversity and you know that that whole conversation about you know supporting all people in our country and other countries, um, something like access to power in remote places also entirely changes the conversation of access to clean water in those remote places. So, you know, even in our own country, we talk about, you know, if you look in the government space and that kind of thing, you know, we have an entire action plan of of being able to build and provide clean water to some of our own citizens of this country that don't currently have it, you know, are, are opportunities like SMRs that can provide different electrical capability to some of those places, is that a component that then changes the ability to provide some of those other services as well, right? So it kind of all ties in together in my mind. No, that's, uh, I agree 100%. I think everything is connected in this world. Each one of us, uh, be it on a personal level or professional level, are connected somehow. And, and our industry specifically being uh, pretty um, well-knit uh, and very connected um, just from even from a regulatory standpoint, I think there is there is a lot of there are a lot of things that to learn, and I think the technological advancements that we make in the coming years uh, can really shape the future in a very positive way. Very much. Awesome. Uh, so the next question, it might be a bit of a tough question to answer, but I figured sometimes you know you need to ask the tough questions as well. It's important. Um, it's important to ask uh, questions uh, that a lot of individuals might be thinking but may not necessarily uh, either have the courage to ask uh, or voice their opinions on, on a more uh, public platform. But uh, I wanted to ask you if you've ever faced any gender-specific challenges since you started in the industry. Um, and the reason I really ask this is because I know there are probably a lot of young girls out there, um, either through STEM or otherwise, who look up to someone like yourself as a mentor and or, or a potential role model in the hopes of, of someday working in the nuclear industry themselves. So, you know, they would like to hear uh, a real-time perspective, per se, and, you know, we have it is one of those things that the world is working gradually towards and really you know bridging that so-called gap that has existed for better or worse over the years so um, i just really wanted to get your um, your perspective um, on on this front as well for sure i actually want to thank you for the question um, because i think that Part of the difficulty of maybe closing the last pieces of the gap that we still see there is is the difficult conversations, right? And we can have policies and, and we can have all kinds of things in place, but it also all depends on us all interacting as humans as well, right? So um, I think it is a fair and, and reasonable question. And I would say, yes, I, I absolutely have... Um, experienced situations where it at least 
was perceived that, you know, gender was part of the conversation. Um, I'll pull one out from very early on that was, you know, even before I got into the industry. And this is going back 20 years or so. Um, So, you know, things have definitely changed a lot, I think, in that time. Um, Before I even had graduated. So, you know, you know what it's like in your, you know, your last year of engineering. And it's like everything is dependent on everything. And that one mark, you know, means everything. And like the culmination of your whole life is about to happen. And you just need to get through it, yeah. right? You didn't <laughs> right? need to have that perfect exactly. capstone project, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, you there's a lot of real pressure on you. There's a lot of your own pressure that you're putting on yourself. Um, so it can be a challenging time. You're navigating trying to find a job and all of that fun stuff. Um, I had a professor pull me aside in a hallway, a professor who I had never taken a class from, who really didn't know me much at all. And um, he was in a different department. And he basically pulled me aside and said, you know, you might as well just give up now because you're never gonna make anything of an engineer. And I remember being flabbergasted <laughs> because, you know, the less overt stuff you've, you've experienced, that to me in a place where I hadn't really felt that overtly up until that point from any of my classmates or my professors um, was kind of, you know, a bit of a flooring moment at a time where I didn't need that kind of negative reinforcement either from the people who I looked up to and frankly were were the ones that were helping to prop me up at the time too. Um, so, you know, I kind of took the moment <laughs> and and went off and, and you know, had my, my feelings and and whatever I thought about it. And I did speak to someone at the university about it, but it also was a scenario where I really took the opportunity to think about it in a different perspective. And it gave me a little bit more fire. And I'm not suggesting that this is the way that anybody should encourage someone (laughs) to be motivated, but it definitely gave me a little bit of an extra spark to want to prove him so wrong that, you know, it wasn't even a conversation. Um, but it, it was a pretty hurtful experience. And it was, it was something that I wasn't really expecting at that point. You know, we, women were pretty accepted at, at that point in, in our programs and all of that kind of stuff. So I really wasn't expecting something that blatant, you know, to occur. Um, having said that, looking back now, you know, I can have a little chuckle because, you know, I think I won that argument. No, I agree 100%. And, and I think you've, you've definitely come a long way. You've definitely proved the professor wrong, but it is definitely sad to see that individuals at that level still had, um, those thoughts and that, that mentality even back, you know, even it, it's still not so, uh, like it's still pretty recent history uh, per se. And in university, I know I was an international student when I went to university far away from home, far away from your parents. Yep. It, it It's supposed to be a safe space, right? Here, I know at NPX, if you come in our offices, you'll see it right in here that you are safe here. We believe that everybody is safe here, irrespective of race, gender, caste, sex, orientation. So I think it's it's critical that 
and you know we've had a big shift we've had this movement over the the past two decades that has definitely changed the narrative now moving forward and i really hope that um individuals are not experiencing um such things now i hope not but you never know right so i'm really glad i'm thankful that you've you've brought it up so anyone who's who's listening doesn't have to feel alone or doesn't doesn't feel like it's you know that it's only happened to them and you need to you you can't get bogged down by that right you have yeah. to prepare yourself mentally if you want to speak to someone to get to let it all out and and seek more clarity and direction on how to uh, basically pull yourself back up sure. and and you know pro- progress in a way that really changes the, you know what a, a certain individual would have said about you or would have had a preconceived notion just solely based on gender uh, as well right well and i think that you know the the important point to take away from any story like that really is you know any one person's opinion is still just one person's opinion right and True. you know if you do the work and you get the education and you get the experience or whatever combination of things are going to make you successful at what your goal is or what you're choosing to do for a career path you know, I think people need to be prepared for the fact that you are going to get a whole host of different good, bad, and otherwise feedback and input as you move along from all kinds of people. And you have to be able to take all of those pieces and weigh it against who you are and your own values and your own perspective and your own understanding and make the choices that are right for you because their their opinion or their perspective is really only that it's their perspective right it comes from their experiences and their cultural you know background and all kinds of things and so you know we take all of that and and we figure out how to you know make that what we need it to be and move forward to the next step so i think that my advice to anybody on that that conversation about you know if you feel like there's a you know you've run into a bit of a wall on the on maybe the the gender side of things or or any other lens um you know just just keep going don't don't let it be the thing that makes you makes you define yourself because chances are everything you've done up until now you know has been a lot more of a culmination of you than than that one interaction no very well said and actually that reminded me of um I was recently listening to uh, Jay Shetty his podcast on purpose with Jay Sh- Shetty um it's an it's an awesome podcast so it was, it was part of Black History Month he had interviewed Lewis Hamilton who's a yep. seven time F1 uh, F1 world <laughs> champion and uh Lewis describes his uh, really struggles when he was the only only black kid growing growing up in the karting world or, or a sport that was predominantly dominated by Europeans growing up in England and and the challenges he faced right but the one thing he always said that I took away is that you never give up till this day you know you never give up all he he proved all those individuals uh wrong and he's now one of the two most successful yeah. F1 drivers of all times in the 70 plus history years of history of the sport so as you said you know it doesn't matter gender or race or color it 
such experiences again you should only really make you stronger and you need you know should really help you drive and motivate you more should help you channelize your energies in the right and positive direction so that you not only prove those individuals wrong but you also can prove to yourself that hey you know you all, you all, you believe in yourself yeah. and that you can do it right and you can not only do that but you can do more i think the humans have a lot of untapped potential that a lot of times we don't really recognize uh during our our lifetimes right and i feel if you can tap into even some of that untapped potential um you can you can go on to achieve uh, bigger and better things and really make a very positive impact to the society as well sure. all right uh, so we'll go into uh, i know we're uh, nearing almost an hour um so i know we spoke a little bit about edni uh, before as i said um here at npx we continue to be big on edni Uh, we are always looking for synergies and opportunities to work with individuals uh, who can not only support but also be an integral part of our commitment towards EDNI. Um, have you personally been involved in any EDNI initiatives throughout your career, or are there some initiatives that you are are looking to getting involved in the near future? I can't say that I have been involved in any really specific targeted ones. However. I probably have been on the receiving end of some of those because you know as we talked about yeah. you know through my let's say 20 years of of career so far um you know getting more women in more leadership roles or getting more women in in some of the science and technology roles was something that was even an early an early conversation then so um I can say that I have, you know, I have been involved along the way in in programs where there was maybe some paired mentoring with uh senior leaders in your in your organization, things like that. Um more so on the, you know, gender side of of changing that leadership face or developing those skills. Um other than that, and partly because a lot of the the specific conversation has come up since I've been back in more individual contributor roles um I guess maybe it's more of living it than it is you know being in a supervisor role where you get to influence maybe maybe hiring or or other you know types of things like like uh the culture of your of your organization um I have just tried on my own to educate myself more um i i've taken i think it was athabatha university had a, a really great online course for indigenous like just understanding a little bit of indigenous culture and the history in canada um so i did that i've started um a couple of friends who have given me a great reading list of canadian indigenous authors so i'm just trying to expose myself to other things in my own country that help me develop a different view of our history here um where we came from as i talked about a little bit you know teaching yoga kind of requires you to sort of look at things like cultural appropriation and sort of understanding like which parts of practices you're going to participate in and how do you how do you do that in the most authentic way for who you are and and you know what you believe in and what you do in your life um so those are kind of the areas where i feel like if we all 
do our own individual piece, it changes our collective appreciation for where somebody else may be coming from, whether you do or you don't know about their history. Um, and then the other piece that I do try to participate in is uh, when summer comes, I grow as much food as I can. Um, so uh, as part of um, some of the collaborations I do over in Burlington, where my home base is, um, I do try to donate grow, like food that we grow, extra food in the garden to Burlington Food uh, Bank, or there's some initiatives where they collect um, from local gardens, if you have extra produce or whatever, and donate it to the food bank for you. Um, so I've done some of those kinds of things in the hopes that supporting portions of our population that maybe are depending on those services, I'm thereby maybe also supporting people who are in positions that may be part of the reason that that is a struggle that they're, they have in life for providing for themselves or their family, maybe some of that had cultural or other, you know what I mean, equity-based um, reasons to, to happen. So I just try to do as much as I can on my own as a human to, to give back where I can and educate myself for a different, a different perspective. That's amazing. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of individuals have a lot to learn from you and maybe sometime in the near future you can come in and give us a gardening uh, course uh, a course as well because we'll do a uh, move for your food course and yes a really, really <laughs> cool combined course where we I've, do like some of the movement stuff that helps your garden life yeah <laughs> so I, I think i was reading recently too there's a community in calgary that's coming up um i think it's in the southeast area that is basically a full uh, farm to table each each homeowner basically gets a community garden in which you participate as a community to grow your grow your own food. I think it's very it's healthy. It's it's the way to go and it's a great way to give back. And in this day and age of inflation and the challenges that a lot of individuals and families have been f facing, I feel no one should be ever be in a position that you can't uh, afford to feed. Uh, yourself or your family members and with the crazy grocery bills come r raking up it's you know these small gestures really go as you said a, a very long way and so that's that's definitely a great initiative uh, that I that I admire you're a part of and mentorship as you mentioned as well I've I've personally been involved in a couple of those over the past few years and uh, both as a, as a mentee and a mentor and it, it is very value added it gives you a very different perspective um, on life and things and just within the industry as well you know at NPX here we've, we've recently introduced a buddy system for our new hires as well in which we would pair uh, any new co-op student or any new individual coming in uh, with a senior um, member of the organization or with, you know, different groups uh, so that you know, they can not only answer questions about NPX, but just, you know, just generally day-to-day -day as well, right? And sometimes, you know, you land up being friends or with those individuals even outside of work, mm -hmm. Uh, right, you might find that hey, you may have common interests. Say maybe 
both of you love skiing, so that's something <laughs> that you know you can find you know a potential ski partner right there, right? So absolutely, and I think you know conversely, there's also mentorship relationships that come out of those kinds of interactions True. sometimes too, right? You meet somebody, you have a common interest, you sort of get to know them, and you get along well, and you sort of interact, and then you start to realize, oh, this person's actually in a position that you know, career-wise, there's opportunities. So, yeah, there's definitely organic ways to, to explore that in both directions. Agreed. And now we'll go in. Uh, we've had a great and insightful conversation so far. I think I'll come into the very last question that we have. So what advice or words of wisdom would you like to give to the next generation, to the next Gen Z, per se, of, of in engineers and individuals, uh, not only who want to potentially come into the nuclear industry, but, but just generally as well, right? Like, how do you think um, you can play an integral role in it, I know you did mention about mentorship, which would be a key role, but just a few words of advice from from your career so far um, that individuals can go, go back and, and, and ponder on as well while they make some of these uh, tough life choices for themselves. For sure, and uh, that's a good way to put it because none of these decisions are easy, right? And sometimes you have so many options and it's hard to make a decision. Sometimes you have very few options and it's hard to make a decision. Um, but I think I would say two things. Um, one being be, be willing to do something that isn't exactly what you want to get the experience. I'm not saying find a job you hate and go do it because it had great money. I am suggesting that you know, you will be presented with opportunities or you may go looking and find opportunities that maybe the job is really great and you really want the technical experience, but you absolutely don't want to do shift work. Well, you know what? Maybe for two years, it's worth doing shift work because you're not going to gain that experience any other way. So if that's something that's important, you know, I think it's always, it's always helpful to think about something from that perspective, Right. Try not to only look for those little golden eggs that are exactly perfect, because so far I've been doing this for 20 years and I haven't found one yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done some things that I've really enjoyed. So um, that's one. Um, and that'll change, you know, as, as careers go on. The other is, and we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast, is, you know, don't be afraid to open the door so that the next set of experiences can present themselves or opportunities. Um, you know, when you get out of school or when you're in school, you have a very defined view of, you know, what you think things are, what thing, what you've been told things are. You're not out in the world yet. You haven't seen half of those jobs. You know, some of the things you think you want to do for a living, you get out, you don't even realize there's all these other jobs that exist. So instead of trying to chart your whole path for a 40-year career, you're not saying you shouldn't have some long-term goals and, you know, some stops along the way on how to get there, but be willing to take those first steps and see what set of doors open because the opportunity in the landscape will change every time you make that decision. And you, you don't want to have to limit yourself now to the path that you can see. 
because it will take away so many opportunities for things that would have advanced your path faster, further, maybe in a more interesting way if, if you were a little bit more open to taking the step and seeing where it took you. That's a very sound piece of advice, Anna, and thanks for sharing that with us. I wish a lot of uh, career counselors, you know, either be it in high school or university, give give similar advice to students uh, because you know, students look up to individuals like themselves. And, you know, I wish I had gotten a lot of this advice, you know, 11 years ago when I was starting on my career path, uh, as well, but as you said, you very rightfully said that you need to be open, you need to be willing to learn, take some of those chances, take some of those risks, because you never know what's out there. Or like, you know, if say one door closes, maybe a hundred new doors really open up. So again, you know, it's always good to have that uh, mindset that, okay, there is a specific thing that you like or you would want to do. But a lot of times that doesn't come easy or isn't as straightforward. You really have to work your way to get there yep. in, in life. And there's there's nothing wrong with it. And through it, it's a process. I say it's a journey. And through that journey in itself, you will probably learn so many different things, meet so many different individuals and, and just grow at every level as an, as an individual that the clarity in life will come in slowly and but steadily as well. Yeah, it's hard to have that patience. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Very true. As I said, it's a, it's a it's a famous quote that I like to use is uh, you know patience is is a flower that does not grow in everybody's garden. <laughs> That's so, very true. <laughs> um, uh, but it is eventually the key to success. So thank you very much, Anna, for taking the time out today to have a candid conversation with us. I really appreciate you driving the miles uh, to come uh, speak to us and meet us in person and share your thoughts uh, and insights as well. And I'm pretty sure after hearing you that a lot of individuals uh, would be inspired to do what you've done and just learn from your successes um, and journey so far. So thanks once again, Anna. Uh, We really appreciate this. Thank you very much. I very much enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the NPX Innovation Chatalyst podcast. To subscribe and listen to past episodes, you can find us at Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever podcasts are available.